In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God. Amen. Glory be to the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and ever and unto the ages of all ages. Amen. This is a talk that's really coming to you from my heart because this is something I've wanted to share with you all for the longest time. Um, and the reason is because um, uh, our church does a lot of fasting. We're going to talk a little bit about that. And to be honest with you, I think most people find fasting, most people in the church, in the Coptic Orthodox Church, find fasting a bit of a nuisance. In fact, maybe even more than a nuisance, maybe something that's annoying, something that's inconvenient, that the church insists upon. And, you know, maybe for some people out there, maybe, I don't know, some monks, some nuns, or I don't know, the priest and his wife or something, it's like really useful. But for the rest of us, it's just a thorn in our side. And quite frankly, when we start fasting, you know, I have to change my diet. I don't really know what to eat and what not to eat. No one's ever really told me clearly. Um, and, and, and even at that, I end up just eating a lot of fries and a lot of carbs. And so it's not, it's not good for my health. It's not good for my life. It's not, you know, and then, and then I don't know, should I have communion? Should I not have communion? Somebody told me I can't have communion if I'm not fasting. And oh, what a drag, right? And I tell you the truth, anything in life that I invest myself in, anything in life where I sacrifice, make a sacrifice and I don't get much out of it, I'm not inclined to do it again. <laughs> you know? You go to a restaurant, really expensive restaurant, you, pay, you fork out a lot of money, and the food is, ah, so-so, you're not likely to come back again, right? If the food was great, sure. If it was a cheap restaurant and the food was, ah, well, yeah, you'll, yeah, sure, you might come back again for a cheap eat, Right? But if it's something that costs you dearly, it's, it's really a sacrifice for you, and you get nothing out of it, the rational person would say, okay, well, I'm not, doing that in a, I'm not doing that again, right? And quite frankly, it wasn't until once I was sick as a dog <laughs> and was being nursed back to health by a monk, and I'll tell you the story in a minute, that he, that he explained to me fasting. I'll just tell you the story now. The second time I went to Kenya to go serve, I was living in a monastery um, by myself with a monk. Like it was a monastery, but there were no monks there yet. Like they were still trying to get it going. And so there was one monk from Egypt there. He wanted nothing to do with me. My job was to evangelize. His job was to clean the monastery up and clean the rooms up and whatever so that they could get monks to come and live there. Um, so he, he, in his mind, his mandate had nothing to do with my mandate. So he had nothing to do. He, never, he didn't want to even talk to me or, or anything. He cooked dinner for me occasionally. Uh, he was a nice guy who's just very much to himself. Very, very much to himself. And I could tell that this was someone who was experienced in spiritual life. So um, I really wanted to ask him questions and stuff. Wanted nothing to do with me. One day I got violently ill. Like I was, it was coming out of both ends faster than you know the, the toilet could keep up, right? And uh, and I think he felt bad for me. And I was just I woke up. He woke up at like five in the morning for his prayers or something. Found me lying on the couch, half dead. And so he spent the day nursing me back to health. So I was like, this is great. I have a captive audience. Now he can't run away because if he runs away, I'll die and then the bishop will kill him too, right? So now I can ask him all my questions. So I asked him, why, why do we fast? I told him, I actually, I actually don't mind fasting that much. I've gotten used to it, right? And every time I think there's a food that I don't like to eat, like, you know, uh, like eggplant or fava beans or whatever, I eat it for a bit and then I love it. 
So really, quite frankly, I'm actually okay being vegan for two-thirds of the year. It doesn't bother me. But I, something tells me there's more to it than that. And he laughed, and he's like, that has nothing to do with it, right? And he explained to me. And what he shared with me is what I'm going to share with you all today because it completely, completely changed my perspective towards fasting. It made me look forward to the fasts and be sad when the fast was over. I feel like I just need, I just need a couple of more days. Like I just need two, three more days of the fast. So I went from, I went from being indifferent towards fasting. I didn't hate it, but I didn't like it. You know, uh, and my mom's a good cook and she's familiar with fasting food and this and that. So it wasn't, it wasn't a, a personal inconvenience, you know. Um, it went to something I really, really look forward to. And I want to share that with you because it changed my life. And I wondered why for 21 years of my life, I was 21 at the time, no one ever told me about this, right? And I suspect that what I'm going to share with you today is going to maybe the first time that you hear some of this. Unless you come to me in spiritual guidance and so on, because then you'll have heard me sh probably share some of, it, some of it with you at that time. So I wanted to call it the fast that lasts. If you look... In Nehemiah chapter 1 or Daniel chapter 9, uh, these, these great holy men got really bad news. They got bad news. In Nehemiah's case, he heard that the, the walls of Jerusalem were destroyed. Uh, so he says the wall, the, the, the message, the end of the message he got was the wall of Jerusalem is also broken down and its gates are burned with fire. So it was that when I heard these things, I, I sat down and wept and mourned for many days. I was fasting and praying before God in heaven. And God answers his prayer. But you'll notice that Nehemiah wasn't praying and fasting for no good reason. Nehemiah was praying and fasting because the walls were broken. And if you were to read the rest of the book of Nehemiah, you'll find that he was, he was fasting because the walls were broken and because he didn't want them to be that way. And he was willing to go himself and build the walls. And that's indeed what he did. Right, And that's kind of what the book of Nehemiah is about. And in Daniel 9, Daniel sees a vision um, of, of the end times. And he, same thing, he mourns and he fasts that God would have mercy. You'll notice that Jesus, um, uh, after he sent his disciples out, you know, second, third time he sent them out, they come back and a man comes and brings his epileptic son to Jesus who was demon-possessed as well. And he says to them, the, the, your disciples, I brought my son to your disciples, and they could not cast him out. Then the disciples came to Jesus, and Jesus then cast the demon out. And then the disciples went to Jesus, and they wanted to ask him, how come you were able to cast the demon out, and I wasn't, right? And the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, why could we not cast it out? So Jesus said to them, because of your unbelief, for assuredly I say to you, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. However, this kind does no, not go out except by prayer and fasting. So we find that Jesus also referenced fasting. Jesus also endorsed fasting and Jesus, Jesus also fasted, right? He fasted 40 days and 40 nights in the wilderness, um, right immediately after his baptism and before his, before his, um, his, uh, his ministry. So we see that Jesus fasted to prepare himself for ministry. And so the church has taught us also to use fasting to prepare ourselves for the sacraments, 
right? And the, the relationship between that, we'll see if we have time to talk about that in, in greater detail or not. So fasting can be for preparation, right? Um, that's great. That's good. But there's more to it than that. There's still more than that. The church has given us a balance between fasting and feasting. You'll find that, that after every fast, there's a feast. And after every feast, there's a fast. So there's this balance back and forth, going back and forth between fasting and feasting. And you then think to yourself, well, wouldn't it be better to just live a balanced lifestyle where you just kind of just only do one thing, right? And that's, the, that's one of the big messages is, of all of this, is that fasting, fasting as it's understood about the church, is not about your lifestyle. It's not about your diet. It's not about what you eat or what you don't eat. Because fasting for a lot of people has become a means... It's become, sorry, it's become an end, it's no longer a means. And we've lost sight of the real end. The real end is for us to participate in the life of Christ and to share in His victory. So, just, you know, just as a, a, you know, to be specific, we fast often in the Coptic Orthodox Church. So, there's the, the fast of nativity. I'm sort of starting from September and onwards, kind of like the Coptic New Year. So, September to August is kind of the order I put them in. So, the first one is in November 26th to January 6th. That's 43 days, right? Then there's the three-day fast of Nineveh or fast of Jonah, which is starting Monday um, uh, tomorrow, right? And that's you always two weeks before Lent. So Lent always starts on a Monday. And then, so in the Coptic Orthodox Rite, Lent always starts on a Monday. So Jonah's fast is always, the, not the Monday before, the Monday before that. So Jonah's fast, then a week of no fasting, then there's Lent. It's funny, why don't they just lump Jonah with, with Great Lent? Great Lent is like forever and ever, three days wouldn't have made a difference, Right? There's a reason, right? There's a, we want to live and enjoy and relish in these, in these reasons so that we can take benefit from them. Then there's Great Lent, right? Which is 55 days. And that's before the resurrection, right? And then the 50 days after the resurrection, there's no fasting. And the 51st day after the resurrection, the Apostles' fast starts. And that goes till July 12th, which is the Feast of the Apostles, right? So it goes... Till from the 51st day till July 11th inclusive if you want, right? That's the fast of the apostles. So that can be a varying, right? That, that's not, that's because Easter isn't on a fixed day. So the apostles fast, which starts 51 days after Easter. So the apostles fast can be shorter or longer. This year, you know, Easter is very early. So that means the apostles fast is going to be very long, Right? Sorry for the good news. Right? Um, and then from July 12th till August 7th, there's no fasting. And then August 7th to August 21st, we start St. Mary's fast. It's just two weeks. Right? So all in all, that gives us about 133 to 168 days of fasting, plus Wednesdays and Fridays, which is about 65 days. So we're looking at roughly... 200 to 230 days of fasting a year. So roughly, roughly two-thirds, half, half to two-thirds of the year, something like that, right, is, is what we're looking for depending on the date of Easter. If the churches around the world all agree to fix the date of Easter, I think it was to the third Sunday of April, then it, it won't be, these things will be fixed um, and, uh, and uh, it'll be a little simpler. But it gives you a little bit of an idea. So 
all the spaces in between, there's no fasting, right? So why is the church doing this thing, making us fast and stop fasting and fast and stop? Wouldn't it just be easier to be like vegan, like just make a commitment, that's it, I'm vegan. People do that, right? There's vegan restaurants and there's all kinds of different vegan options, right? You go to almost any restaurant, there's a vegan option, right? And I just become vegan and I just do that and that's it, right? You can do that if you want to, but it's not about the food. The, 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 like, I, I pray that the message that we'll get from this is that it's not about the food, it's about sharing in the life of Christ, right? And the other thing also that a lot of people experience who genuinely fast and genuinely try to pray more and genuinely try to get closer to God during fasting is that they do that during fasting and when then it's time for feasting, then, right, they just like let everything go. So then you get this sine wave kind of relationship with God, like, you know, I'm, I like, I, I, I try to get close to God during fasting and then I forget about God during feasting. And then, so that's obviously not what the church wants us to do either, right? So what, what is it that the church wants us to do, right? St. Anthony says, Do not neglect the fast. It, con- it, it constitutes an imitation of Christ's way of life. During Great Lent, we pray... And we say, Jesus Christ fasted for us 40 days and 40 nights. So, if that's the case, Father John, if Jesus Christ fasted for me 40 days and 40 nights, then I don't need to fast, right? Because he did it for me, right? Yes, indeed. You don't have to fast. The obligation of fasting, which is in the law of Moses, has been completed and fulfilled by Christ on your behalf. He paid, and he gave you, and he gave you the the, the, uh, the whatever the receipt. You know, he paid, and he said, "Here, here's the receipt, and it's stamped with a big red stamp that says paid in full, right?" So you don't have to fast. Well, great news, Father John. Glory be to God forever and ever, men. Can we go now? Right, <laughs> right. No. Stay tuned because there's there's better. There's a better message. There's a more beautiful message than that you don't have to fast. The beautiful message is that you can fast. All of the rites and rituals of the church are not given to us as an obligation. They're given to us as a means to reach an end. As a means to live, what's this end? To participate fully in the life of Christ. Now I'll ask you a question. Who of you remembers what happened when Jesus fasted? Jesus is baptized. He comes out of the water. The Spirit leads him away in the wilderness to be tempted for 40 days and 40 nights. And he fasts for 40 days and 40 nights. And then the devil appears to him and Jesus is tempted. Right? Now, when Jesus was tempted, was he victorious in his temptation? Or was he, was he like crushed by the temptation? He was victorious. Right? So, we see this pattern in the life of Christ, you know? We see this pattern in the life of Christ that he fasts, and as he fasts, he gets tempted. So, I have good news for you. If you're going to fast, if you're going to take all the stuff we're talking about today, and you're going to take it and you're going to try to put it into practice, and you're actually going to try to fast this year like a real spiritual fast, not like just a diet or not like whatever just to make somebody happy. But you're going to really do it. You're going to get tempted. You're going to get tempted. If Jesus got tempted, you're going to get tempted. 
Good news. Why is that good news, Father John? As if fasting wasn't bad enough, now I'm going to get a slap in the face from the devil too? Yes. But when Jesus was tempted, he was victorious. And so will you be. The message is simply this. Everything in the life of Christ has been given to us for us to receive freely. There's nothing, there's nothing that you have to pay for to share in the life of Christ. That's why we do, like, that's one of the reasons why here at church, for example, we don't charge for anything. Sometimes when things are very costly to the church, like they're way outside the budget that's usually allotted, we'll write a suggested donation. You know, we'll do a retreat and we'll say, well, the rooms cost the church 120 a night per person. You're welcome to donate that more or less, whatever you're able as a suggested donation. But you don't have to do anything. You don't have to pay anything to participate in the life of the church. Just for your curiosity, we usually collect within 5% of, of however much the cost was. Sometimes we collect a little bit more, sometimes we collect a little bit less. People often donate more, and often people want to participate who can't, who can't pay, and then so it all evens itself out. And as a, as a body, we just kind of all support each other, for anybody who is worried about how that all ends up working out, right? Jesus has given us everything in his life for us to share it, so that it can become my life. Jesus wants to do an exchange. We're talking about this around Christmas, about gift exchanges. God wants to, Jesus wants to exchange your life for His. But in Jesus' life, there was fasting. Jesus fasted for us. You don't need to fast to please anybody. Okay? You don't need to fast to please God, please your parents, please me, please, I don't know, whoever, the Pope, right? You don't need to fast to please nobody. Jesus fasted for us. 40 days before he did, he, he did, he fulfilled it, okay? What I need now is to, part, to share in his life. I need to share in his life. So it does make sense that I'm going to share in his victory, but not in his struggle. I'm going to share the resurrection, but not the cross. It's a, it's, it's a, one, it's a package deal, Right? It's a package deal. So I'm sharing in the fasting of Christ. Father John, what if I'm not able to fast properly? Like I make an agreement with my spiritual father that, or spiritual guide or whatever that we're going to fast till such and such time or I'm going to do this and I, and I break my fast. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. Uh, I, I forgot and I put milk on my coffee. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it because that's not what it's about. Right? From a legal perspective, from a legal perspective, you're in the clear, right? But I want to labor, I want to struggle to go out of myself, to stop living the life of John and to live the life of Christ. I want to share in his life. I want to share in his fasting. I know that means I'm going to share in his temptation. And that means that I'm also going to share in his victory, over Satan and over temptation. How many of us are struggling with a temptation that we just can't shake off? And every time we, we take two steps away, it comes after us. St. Isaac the Syrian says that, you know, our passions are like our shadow. When we run away from it, it runs after us. When we run after it, it runs away from us. You know? And he says that about various other things as well. Right? So St. Anthony is telling us 
not to neglect fasting because it's sharing in the life of Christ. It's sharing in his life, right? And participating in the whole life of Christ. But I hope I've managed to convince you that fasting is a privilege, not an obligation. It's a door towards victory, right? Like in the area that I live in, I used to live in the suburbs and now I live in, you know, in the city. And I used to, if I wanted to go to the bank, which was literally a 10 minute walk from my house, I would drive my car and go like literally like I drive like like this instead of walking like this, you know, because I don't know. That's what people in the suburbs do. Right. You know, you drive your car. Parking is free. Da da da. Right. I moved, now parking is a real pain in the butt. So for the first time, the second time, I tried to go to the bank, uh, driving my car, and I can't find parking, this and that. I ended up taking the car back home and walking. And then I learned, just walk to the bank. If I want to go to the bank, if somebody, if somebody uh, nice here, you know, sends me a little e-transfer of a couple of thousand dollars that shows up in my bank account, and I want the money, I have to walk to the bank. I got to go there to get it, Right? If you want the victory of Christ, you need to go and get it. It's there with your name on it. Like it's on hold for you with your name on it. Growing up, I had a sister. Now I have a wife, right? They, they, like, to, they like to go to different stores, look at different things and put them all on hold, right? And then tell me what they put on hold and I have to go and pick them up. So I don't know the names of these stores or what they sell, right? But sometimes I'm picking something up that is certainly not for me. Use your imagination, right? And the name on the bag says, For John, right? So I'm there, I'm like, uh, yeah, my name is John. I'm here to pick something up. And the person behind the cash is like, this, this is not for you. <laughs> this is, I'm like, it's for, it's for my wife or previously for my sister, right? There's, there's victory. There is victory over temptation, which is kept on hold for you. It has your name on it. Okay? It has your name on it. You just have to go and get it. The going to get it, that's fasting. Because at the end of the story, there's fasting, and then there's temptation. I'm warning you, right? I have a friend, every great Lent, some, some, something happens to him, right? When your car got stolen, his basement got flooded, every year he expects some catastrophe to happen. And, you know, like eight of ten years, something of that magnitude does. But every single year, during the fast, like not like years later, the, the problem is resolved, right? And God is victorious. God has victory for you and me. Fasting has changed my life, has changed my relationship with God. Right? So, I want to get into what, what really is fasting other than a change in diet or, or, or something like that. The purpose of fasting is to optimize the circumstances of your life for prayer. So, you notice Jesus buddies fasting and prayer. Most of us have tried fasting, have fasted, have gotten nothing out of it, and have ended up hated, hating fasting because we fast but we don't necessarily pray or pray any differently than we did when we weren't fasting. Notice, fasting is not something that only exists in the Coptic Orthodox Church or something that only exists in Christianity. It exists in every mainline religion, right? In, in Islam, in Hinduism, in Buddhism, right? Because it, it relates to our, to our humanity. 
That's why every religion has found a utility for fasting because the common factor between all these different religions is, is the human being, right? Fasting is a way for us to deal with ourselves, to get ourselves to be in the place that we want to be, right? So fasting, the purpose of fasting is to optimize our circumstances for prayer. So if you're planning to fast, please plan to pray. Like literally, it's going to take planning. You'll see in a minute, right? And Jesus says, this kind cannot go out except by prayer and fasting. Jesus buddies it. What kind cannot go out? I've shared this with you um, before. We have a couple of people here who do rock climbing, right? So if you do indoor, if you do indoor rock climbing, right, you're kind of climbing a, a, a wall. And how do you climb a wall? Well, there's got it, there are little stubs on it, right? So these little stubs and you, you, know, you, you find one you could put your foot on, one you could put your hand on and so on. And, 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 and in so doing, you know, you scale the wall. Right? I think. I'm not an expert. But yeah, something like that. Right? My soul has little stubs. Okay? That the demons can hold on to. There's like a little bit. There's a, there's a pride stub. You know, and there's a lying stub. And there is a, there's a gluttony stub. And there's a lust stub. Right? But there's no, I don't know, um, covetousness. Uh, maybe God has freed you from being materialistic, right? There's no materialism stub. So the materialism demon comes and he wants to grab onto you. And there's nothing to grab onto, right? He can't... He, and those... I mean, I'm using an analogy to make it real for you, right? But uh, these are the fathers of the, of the ancient church fathers and the desert fathers call, call these the passions, right? They're misplaced energies that have become part of who I am, right? And they become like little nests for demons, right? And the demons find, find a space there where they can... They can latch on, and, it, and then it's and so that's why you might there may be something some bad habit you have or something that's easy for you to kick. If you just put your mind to it, psh, you'll stop doing it, right? But then I don't know, biting your nails or something, right? Uh, but then you know, like you know, but you also you also I don't know, smoke or something, and you've been trying to kick that for a while, and you can't, right? Maybe there's a sin that I do occasionally. There's another sin that has, there's a nest for it, for its demon in my heart. Fasting and prayer evicts those nests, strips those stubs, so there's nothing for the demons to hold on to, and makes it a lot easier for me to live a life of holiness. So that's what happens, but it happens through fasting and prayer. In the prayer that the priest says silently during the liturgy after our Father, he says, Lord Free us from the impulses towards sin that have been implanted in us. So it's almost like these stubs are implanted in me, right? And I want, I want to evict them so that I can be free of being, um, being subject to these temptations. St. Augustine says, Let your prayers have two wings that carry them, carry them up to heaven, fasting and almsgiving. Why fasting and almsgiving? You'll notice Jesus in Matthew 6. We're going to spend the first part of Lent, the first couple of weeks of Great Lent, reading Matthew 6. We're going to read the whole chapter beginning to end over three weeks. The pre-Lent Sunday, first, first Sunday of Lent, second, uh, uh, pre-Lent Sunday and first, second, uh, first Sunday of Lent. And then the second Sunday, we, pray, we read the, the, the temptation, right? Jesus also talks about fasting and almsgiving in the context of prayer. Notice that fasting, fasting is a negative thing, 
not to eat. Like not negative in the sense, in a moral sense, like bad or good. No, negative in the sense of it's, it's, it's not to do something. Not to eat. Uh, almsgiving is, is, a, is an emptying. It's a giving, right? I'm taking from what I have and I'm giving. Both of them are, in a certain sense, an emptying. Whereas prayer, whereas prayer, we oftentimes think of prayer as talking to God. But true prayer is actually God talking to us. So almsgiving, charity, you know, uh, uh, letting go of our material possessions, letting go of, of the desires of our flesh, right? In fasting is an emptying. But if I, if I am keep emptying my pockets, right? And you tell me, I, I, Father John, I want to give you like... Like, I want to give you, like, eight rolls of $100 bills. You know, like, each roll has, I don't know, like, like, like 40 bills in it or something. It's talking like, you know, it's talking like $32,000 in cash, right? And I'm like, well, where am I going to put that? Like, I can't just walk with that in the street. I'll get robbed, right? You know, you just like, well, empty your pockets, right? Well, I don't have anything in my pockets worth $32,000, I'll tell you, right? So I'll just empty my pockets as fast as I can so I can stuff these, these wads of cash in my pockets, Right? Now, if I empty my pockets and I, and I throw my wallet and I throw my keys and I throw my this and I throw my phone and I throw all this stuff so that I can take and then there's, there's nothing and I don't put anything in them, then necessarily I'm poorer now than when I started, right? And that's how a lot of people feel who fast but don't pray. That's how I feel when I fast and I don't pray. I feel like I have some obligation I have to do and I got nothing for it. But it's not my fault. I mean, it's not it maybe my fault. Right? Who doesn't matter whose fault it is, right? If I'm fasting, if I'm emptying myself and I'm not allowing myself to be filled, well, you know, no wonder I feel empty. You know, no wonder I feel like I've paid and I haven't gotten anything in return because the getting in return happens during prayer. I'm going to speak very, I've been speaking all about principles now, but I'm going to speak very, very specifically about how to put this how to put this into action, right? So fasting and almsgiving are an emptying, but prayer is the filling. So let all three happen together so that I can empty myself so I can receive. Um, at, at a youth day for kids or something, they asked me to talk about fasting. So I asked one kid to come up to the front, right? And I told him, here, here, can you, can you do me a favor? Can you just hold my iPad for me? So he held it. And I said, can you hold the microphone for me? He held that. And then I, I gave him a chair. I said, can you hold this? And then I took the podium. The podium was like light. So I took it. And I go, hey, can you carry this? The kid is now standing like this. And all this stuff is on top of him. I'm like, hey, I've always wanted to give you an Xbox. The kid looked at me. He's like, really? And I said, yeah. And I was like, well, can you take it? He's like, uh... Can I give this stuff to somebody, right? And I'm like, so, and then he put it down, everybody clapped for him, right? So he has to let go of all the junk he's carrying that is thoroughly useless to him. You know what I mean? A podium, a chair, a table. What's he going to do with any of that, right? So he can receive the thing that is meaningful to him, right? Fasting is the letting go, the emptying ourselves, so that we can receive something meaningful. But if you're going to empty yourself, don't forget to do some of the receiving. We're going to talk about a model now. We're going to talk about a model now to put all of this into practice and wrap all this up for you. A couple of weeks before every fast, okay? This is like the, the, the specific advice, okay? A couple of weeks before every fast, take some time out to prepare yourself. Take some time out to prepare yourself for the fast. Speak with your spiritual guide, your spiritual father. Identify a vice 
like a sin or a negative tendency, whatever you really just want to get rid of. You really, you really feel that you're like, you're, 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 you're chained and you're just being, you're like, you're carrying a 40 pound pack that you don't need to carry. Something you really want to get rid of. And you'll notice that almost every vice has a virtue, like a corresponding virtue, right? For example, anger and love are two sides of the same coin. Some of these things are not very intuitive, so that's why you may need you know, your spiritual guide, your spiritual father to help you sort things out. So you say, I really want, you know, I really want to get rid of uh, being materialistic, right? Well, the opposite of being materialistic is actually, is actually loving your neighbor, serving your neighbor, right? So that might not have come to you intuitively, and I can take, go into a 40-minute discussion of why that is, but just accept it for me, from me for now, right? Or anger and love. There's this person in the office, every time you see their face, you have a bad day. You pray to God that they're on holiday today. You don't want to pray that they're sick, so you pray that they're on holiday, right? Because you just want to see their face. Every time you see their face, they just make your blood boil. And you don't want that, because it ruins your day, right? And I want to be free from that. Well, you'll notice that there's a corresponding virtue to anger, which is love. So I want to grow in love, and I want to become less susceptible to anger. Okay, so that's step one. Do this a couple of weeks before you start fasting. Right? And then spend those couple of weeks collecting books, articles, sermons, blogs, whatever you can do to nurture your spiritual life, in regard to that virtue or in regard to overcoming that vice, right? Find stuff that you can use to enrich your life that will fill some, some time for you that's focused on this. Like, so don't, if you're like working on anger and love, don't, don't, don't go get a book about humility. Like, that's great. You want to read about humility. Save that for the next fast. Or do that this fast. But, try, but keep it focused and you'll see why, Right? Then, once the fast begins, pray and ask God to set you free from this vice. And He will, eventually. But some temptations will come your way, and they'll probably be somewhat related, some of them anyways, to this vice. Right? So this is, this is how to pray. Spend a period of the day from the morning until a certain time without eating or drinking. Look, a lot of people in the church have equated fasting with veganism. Being vegan is being vegan, and fasting is fasting. Fasting is not being vegan, okay? Being vegan is just being vegan. That's great. That's laudable for people who want to be vegan. Good for you, right? But fasting is something completely different. Fasting, in every other context, you know, medically, everywhere else, means to abstain from eating and drinking, Okay? So that's what we have to do. And sometimes you say, no, that's too difficult for this person. No, 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 no. I start, I start children who come to me in confession from eight years old with, with, with abstinence. They skip breakfast and they have, their, they, they have their breakfast during recess. I take their parents' permission, of course, and this and that. If the person has some medical issue or whatever, then, you know, it's with guidance. And so, you know, it's not one size fits all. But there's none of this, uh, you know, uh, this person is too young or too old or too... Maybe you have a medical condition or whatever, you know, you're diabetic. Exceptions can be made, right? You, can, you absolutely can't live... Without your morning coffee, okay, have, have, have half a cup of coffee to get your stay, day started, 
right? Don't worry, fine. Remember, this is not a legal obligation, but we're all human, and we all have very similar machinery, right? So, you know, this is, this is, a, this is a recipe to make the machinery work so that you can receive the end goal that you want to receive. The end goal I want to receive is victory of Christ over this temptation and growth in this virtue. Why? So that at the end of the fast, there's a feast. At the end of Lent, there's resurrection. At the end of Advent, there's the nativity. I want to offer to Christ, I want to offer Him a beautiful gift. He's not interested in, 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 in money or in, in my volunteer hours. or That's not what he's... He's interested in my life. He wants to exchange my life for his. So I want to grow a virtue that I can offer to him as a gift. Right? So, identify a vice and a virtue. Collect resources about that. That's going to take you at least 5 to 10 days. So... That's why the church has put Jonah's fast for us now, so that tomorrow morning we're like, oh, we're fasting. Oh, man, right? I can't go get my latte, right? And, and then you realize, okay, I'll just get my double espresso, right? Fine, okay. So it's a bit of, you know, it's a big, bit of a wake-up call. And the wake-up call, the church is asking you, what are you going to do in this fast? And why does it do this for Great Lent, but not the other fasts? Great Lent is like the springboard of spiritual life for the year. I promise you, the progress that you make in your life with God during Great Lent, you cannot match that any other time of the year, right? You can't, you can't do it, you, you can't. The other fasts are lovely, they're great, but nothing is like Great Lent. You miss Lent, you're waiting till next year. I promise you, you're waiting till next year. You're never, you're not, nothing, is like, nothing is like the progress you can make during Great Lent. So don't miss out on it. Don't miss out on it. Now, when it comes to the duration of abstinence, how long should I, be, should I abstain for, not have anything to eat or drink? That really depends on you, right? If you're used to not eating or drinking anything at all till like 5 p.m. and that's just what you usually do, right? Then telling you to fast till 10 a.m. and have your, your breakfast at 10 instead of at uh, 7.30 or 8 o'clock in the morning like I tell kids in school, that, that's, that's, that's meaningless to you because you don't eat or usually eat anything till 5 p.m. anyways, right? The duration of abstinence is not a reflection of holiness or a reflection of how great you are or whatever. St. Macarius used to fast for a week at a time and then eat a leaf of lettuce. He would do that for three weeks and then he'd have a bowl of, a bowl of beans and then he would start all over again. Nothing to eat or drink for a whole week, right? It's not a reflection of holiness. It's a reflection of, your, of your, how used to fasting you are, right? I don't go to the gym at all. Right? I go to the gym with Andrew one day, right? and I try to bench press like ah, five pounds and I'm dying. He tells me, don't worry, just keep coming, you'll, you'll get better. I go the next day, I go the next day, I go the next day. After a while, the five pounds becomes, becomes relatively easy. right? And then Andrew tells me, no, well, we can't just stay at five pounds. We're going to have to add a little bit. I'm like, no, 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 we're good. Like, let's just keep going here with the five pounds because we're good, right? No, like as, as you get used to it, you need to add more, right? Who got the better workout? The guy, ben, you know, the guy bench pressing just the bar or the guy bench pressing like you know, 400 pounds on the bar? I don't know. Depends on the guy, right? If the guy who benched the 400 pounds usually benches 800, then, then he was just lazy that day, right? So the duration of abstinence, don't compare yourself to anybody else. Don't compare yourself to the past. Don't compare yourself to... The duration of abstinence is really just dependent on 
you and what you are used to. So a lot of people, they only fast. A lot of people that come to me in spiritual guidance only fast till 11 a.m. They don't fast after that. They have nothing to eat or drink till 11 a.m. Then we're going to talk about what they do at 11. And then after that, they're vegan from 11 a.m. till the next day. Right? Other people fast till sunset. The canons of the church say you should fast till sunset. Right? The laws of the church. Right? But that's because people at that time were, were, were used to that. Right? So how, how do I, as a spiritual father, spiritual guide, how do I determine with somebody how long they should fast? Well, there's a sweet spot. There's a sweet spot where you'll be able to, your heart will lift in prayer like super easy. Right? And that's what we're trying to achieve with abstinence. The sweet spot is this. You, you just ate a, a beautiful Eritrean meal, right? And it smells really rich and really nice, right? And it was so good, you had seconds and you couldn't help yourself but go get another last scoop of your favorite thing and you have, now you're stuffed to the brim. Now I tell you, okay, let's go upstairs and pray and you're like, I don't think I can move, right? So that's, that's not gonna, so being full doesn't help us to pray. Okay, fine. But there's something else that doesn't help us to pray. You had a really busy day at work, you, 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 you didn't have chance to get, grab your usual breakfast on your way to work. You didn't have time to eat lunch because you worked right through lunch. And then, then you had a meeting right out at the end of the day and that's gone on till 8 p.m. It's 8 p.m. You haven't had anything to eat or drink. By now you have a headache and you're dizzy and you're tired and you're hangry, right? And you know, you're not going to get anything productive done, right? So that's one end of the spectrum being over full. And the other end of the spectrum is being, is being cranky and being dehydrated and being, right? Neither of those are helpful for prayer or for doing anything else that's productive, right? So there's a sweet spot where you're empty. You don't feel hungry. You don't feel, uh, you don't, you know, you, you, or you feel slightly hungry, but you don't feel, you don't, you don't yet feel, you know, dizzy and tired and groggy and all of that, right? If you're, if you're fasting to the point, abstaining to the point of feeling dizzy and groggy, and you're not gonna, you're gonna find it a little bit challenging to pray, probably, as much as you would any other activity that requires your mind, right? If, uh, and if you're full, then it's kind of hard to pray as well. So we're aiming for that spot where you're empty and you're just starting to feel hungry, right? So that's the question I ask people. Where, where, is that, where, where is that for you? Is that around 10, around 11, around noon, around 1, around 2, right? That you, you're starting to feel just a little bit hungry. Fast till that time. The other critical thing in deciding the time of how long to fast is this. Remember, fasting without prayer is like optimizing your life to, for prayer and then not, not praying, right? It, it's, it's, not, it's, it's useless. Well, it's not useless, but there's limited benefit, right? Very limited benefit. So the, the idea is to fast, to abstain, and then before you break your fast, just spend a few minutes in prayer. I used to tell people 15 minutes, but then nobody did it, because you're like at work and stuff, it's hard to, or at school, or you're in, in a public place, so it's hard for you to make that time. That's why the church used to tell us to fast till sunset, because by then you were home. No one was out in the dark in, in, in like two cents two millennia ago, right? Everybody would be home after dark, so you'd have time to pray, right? But if you're at work, you know, find a quiet corner. If you fast till 11, find a quiet corner at 10.55 and lift your heart to God and pray. You want to pray a couple of psalms? Do that. You want to pray the Jesus prayer? Fine. You want to just lift your heart to God and pray? That's fine. 
and ask God to deliver you from the temptation with which you are struggling. Right? So, now the last thing, the, now the last thing is two more things that, that, that I do during fasting or we try to do during fasting is to find some practical thing in which you can live out the virtue you're trying to develop. So this guy in the office that drives you crazy, write a list before the fast begins of 20 nice things you can do for this person. I can buy him a muffin. I can, I can smile and say good morning. I can, you know, uh, like grab him a coffee when I'm grabbing a coffee. I can, if I, he always drops his coat on the floor and I always trip on it. I can, instead of getting frustrated, I can pick up the coat and hang it on the hanger, which is right next to his desk, but the guy just never hangs his coat. His coat. I hang it for him, right? Write a list of, right, because if you buy him a muffin every day, he's going to start thinking something's up, right? Right, but and you're not doing this to win a friend. You probably will in the end of the day. You're doing this to live out with your life the virtue you're trying to develop. Right. So we're going to collect resources. Right. We're going to set a time of abstinence that's reasonable, and that of which I can pray before I break my fast. Right. We're going to find some practical way to live out the virtue that I that I'm doing. Now, the, the fourth thing, or last thing on the slide, is I'm going to try to not spend my time and energy as much on the outward things of life. Food and clothing and this and that, you know, social commitments. I'm going to try to to limit them to a certain degree. I'm not saying become a recluse, you know, become a hermit, but, you know, to some degree. And then all those resources that you spent these two weeks uh, you know, collecting books and articles and sermons and CDs and blogs and all that stuff. You're gonna, you're gonna, you're gonna stockpile all of that and you're gonna chip away at it in the time that you have redeemed that you would have otherwise spent cooking dinner and eating dinner and doing the dishes. This monk who was nursing me back to health when I was dying in Africa that that time, he said, if it were up to me, he said it's not though, so don't do this. But if it were up to me, he said. I would tell you, go to McDonald's on your way home from school, get a burger to eat, and then dinner is done. So instead of going home, cooking, preparing for dinner, cooking dinner, doing the dishes, eating dinner, that's like an hour's time, right? You eat a sandwich on your way home, now you have an hour of time that you've created to read and to pray and to spend time with God and to, and to grow in this virtue to nurture this virtue that you're trying to grow in, right? So see how you can operationalize that in your own life. So then the fast comes to an end. Naturally, I get come towards the end of the fast and I'm almost free from my sin. I'm almost really developed this virtue and it's really, I almost don't hate this guy in the office anymore. Like I can tolerate him, right? I kind of even kind of like him, but I don't really love him yet, right? But I'm almost there, right? And the fast is over. Naturally, how do I feel? Man, if the fast were only three days longer, if the fast was only five days longer, if the fast was only a week longer, I would have, I would have, I would have met my goal. I would have met my goal, Right? See what the change in mind is when fasting becomes to grow, to grow in spiritual life, not eat this, don't eat this, eat this, don't eat this, right? It becomes a whole different thing. It becomes a whole different experience, right? Well, sadly, the fast will come to an end. 
So what are we going to do? We're just going to go back to life as usual? Go back to hating the guy in the office, right? Well, that's kind of stupid. I'm going to like him on and off. He's going to think I'm uh, like, you know, he's going to think I have, uh, you know, uh, like, like a psychological disorder or something. I like him, I don't like him, I like him, I don't like him, right? No, the goal is to grow in, in our life with God, to grow in the life of Christ, and then to maintain and then to grow in the next fast, and then to maintain, and so on. Not to grow and not the sine wave, right? So, fasting is a bit of like training wheels on your bike, right? During the time of non-fasting, carry on trying to do the, the spiritual practice that you did. Doing one of those 20 nice things to the guy in the office. Don't stop doing that. Keep trying to do that. It may be a little bit harder now that you're not fasting anymore. It may be a little bit harder now that your tummy's full of burgers. It may be a little bit harder, right? That's okay. That's okay. That's like trying to ride your bike now without the training wheels. You might fall once or twice. That's okay, right? So that's, we try to grow during the fasts and then maintain during the non-fasting periods. So this coming fast is the fast of Nineveh. And the fast of Nineveh, last slide, the, the fast of Nineveh is a fast all about repentance. It's all about God calling us to return to Him. Remember, the end goal of all of this is to share in the life of Christ. So let's, uh, let us spend... Hello! So let us spend these coming three days, starting tomorrow... Looking at the life of Christ, like if you need to, look, get a picture of Jesus and look at, look at Jesus and ask yourself, what's different between Jesus and me, right? That's what the purpose of this fast is. It's three days to examine ourselves and to see, right? In so doing, you're gonna, I'm going to find a whole lot of things that, that Jesus doesn't do that I do and that Jesus does that I don't do. Pick one of those things, right? Find the virtue and the vice, Right? Find a practical application. Find books and articles and CDs and stuff like that to nurture your spiritual life. Right? And let this fasting, let this coming fast, fasting period of Great Lent be a time of real growth with God. And I promise you, you will never fast the same again. Glory be to God forever and ever. Amen. I've sinned. Forgive me. Sorry, we went a little bit over time. I've been, uh, and we started late. Um, but I've been meaning, I've been dying to, 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 to do this, this talk for years um, because people constantly come and need advice about, uh, about fasting and this is, this is what was our opportunity. God bless you. Let's pray. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. Glory be to you, O Lord, who has achieved and accomplished everything that is necessary for, for my life with you, Lord, for my holiness for my restoration and for my enjoying eternity forever. Thank you, Lord, that you fasted for us 40 days and 40 nights. And thank you, Lord, that you have given us a church which has given us a model of how to live out the fasting that is acceptable before you, the fasting, Lord, that is pleasing to you, the fasting, Lord, that is really coherent with our lives, that helps us helps us to live your life, to live the heavenly life here on earth. In your mighty name we pray, through the sessions and prayers of all your saints, hear us, Lord, as we pray to you, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not in temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. In Christ Jesus our Lord, for thine is the kingdom.